Доброе утро! Я приветствую вас в имя Иисуса Христе. So, uh, maybe some of you understood that, maybe some of you didn't. I said good morning and I greet you in the name of our Lord Jesus. My name is Aaron Bogat. I am the son of Bob and Donna Bogat. And I, together with my wife and my two girls, uh, recently have fled uh, Russia And uh, we are just excited to be with you uh, at this time and to just see what the Lord has for us now for the future. We have had to flee since the war that broke out in the Ukraine, but we've seen so much. And I want to start by saying thank you to all of you who have prayed for us during this transition time. All the support and outpouring of love that we've seen has been just amazing. And uh, I want to personally thank you. Um, my wife is here at the first service. I have my children here uh, right now. And it's really, truly been a blessing for us. We have been, I've been a part of this church since I was, uh, well, since I was born. And it's a pleasure to be with you this morning as we look into God's Word. And just to share a little bit about the journey that we've taken and what has happened, what's transpired, and what the Lord has done in the moving us from there to here. Um, the war broke out on February 24th on my dad's birthday. And uh, from the point at which the war broke out in the Ukraine, um, I was troubled in spirit. I, I, I thought initially that that was probably troubling to be praying for the people of the Ukraine, to be praying for the people of Russia, to be interceding on behalf of those who were involved and the situation that was going on. But it soon became clear that things were escalating and, and the situation was becoming more and more unstable. And in fact, over that weekend, so that happened on a Thursday, and by Saturday and Sunday, we realized things are, were really unsettled. And my wife even had a dream that, uh, from the scriptures where it says, where God tells his people to flee to the mountains, to leave Jerusalem, to just go. And so it was kind of a confirmation in her heart, plus the, uh, God's working uh, and his spirit within me, We really felt like it was time to go. And so Monday, we said our goodbyes. And by 3 a.m., we were on an airplane flying out of the country. And so it was a very quick goodbye. And I can tell you that God had to move on me by his spirit because my heart was not ready to go. Um, he has a work that he's still doing within us. And uh, he's at work in powerful ways. You know, sometimes it's hard to see that. Especially when we walk through difficult times. We don't always know what it is that the Lord's doing, and we wonder why. We, we ask the Lord, why? Why are these things happening? But, you know, one of the things, that, a blessing about what we've been going through is I haven't so much asked the why question. Because... We may not understand in this world why these things happen, but I'm asking, Lord, what? What it is that you have for us? What would you have us do now in this circumstance and in this time? And the answer is to be salt and light wherever he takes us. And so that's what we will do and we continue to do. And we started off this morning talking about Jesus as king, that he is the king. And this morning we're going to look at a passage about a couple of other kings, the king of Israel and the king of, this, of Syria. Jehoram, the king of Israel, Ben-Hadad, the king of uh, Aram or Syria, and a story from the Old Testament 
And sometimes we, we don't look back there because we think it's just all the, the stories of, of the old times, but God can speak through his word, and all his word is profitable for teaching and instructing us. So let's go ahead and start with a word of prayer before we look into God's word. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are on the throne, that nothing that happens in this world takes you by surprise, but you are king, and you are king eternal. Lord, help us to understand that and to submit our lives to you and to trust you with all our heart and with everything that happens in our lives, to be able to see you and seek you out when times are difficult and not to forget you when times are good, but to praise your name for you are good and your word stands true forever. And Lord, we want to understand this morning when you say in your word that with you, all things are possible. So help us to focus on you and to hear from you this morning. Plant your seeds within our heart. Cause them to grow and bear fruit for your kingdom so that you may receive all glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's go ahead and open to 2 Kings chapter 6. And I'm going to start reading at verse 8. And I encourage you when you go home to, to read this entire passage from 2 Kings 8 all the way through to the end of chapter 7. This whole story is just a, a real wonderful story about Elisha, the prophet, these kings, and, and these circumstances, dire circumstances, um, that lead to showing that with God all things are truly possible. So beginning in 2 Kings chapter 6, Six, reading from verse 8 through verse 10 to begin. Once, when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, At such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to that place about which the man of God told him. Thus he used to warn him, so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. So here we have the picture. The king of Syria is trying to ambush the king of Israel to kill him. The prophet Elisha is hearing from the Lord that this is where he's going to be ambushed. It's going to be over there. And more than once and more than twice, the king of Israel is saved by a prophetic word from the Lord through his prophet. And the Lord was good to this evil king. And a little background on this king, if you turn to 2 Kings chapter 3, and we're not going to read from there, but you'll find out that this king was the son of Ahab. So you, those of you who know the Old Testament, you know the, the kind of lineage he was coming from. So he was an evil king in the eyes of the Lord, and yet the Lord was good to him. And I think about in my own life how many times the Lord has been good to me, and I've not acknowledged that or thanked him for such things. And so as the story continues on, we see Elisha, and because the king is so upset, the king of Syria is so upset, he asks his servants, who is it that's betraying us? The king of Israel always knows where we're going to be, and he escapes every time. He says, no, no, it's, it's Elisha, the prophet. He's the one who's doing it. So he sends out a raiding party to attack uh, Elisha in Dothan. And the, the, the marauding, the raiders come around the city, and the servant of, of the prophet comes out and says, oh, no, what are we going to do? What shall we do? And you know what Elisha says? Elisha says, do not be afraid. And how many times do we have something in our lives where evil is surrounding us, difficult circumstances are surrounding us, and we, we are in fear. It's a natural response. 
And yet so many times in the scripture, God says, do not be afraid or be anxious for nothing. And then the prophet continues and says, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then he prays and the servant's eyes are open and he sees on the hills surrounding these raiders chariots of fire, chariots from heaven. He sees what's happening in the spiritual realm and understands that the Lord is in control. And so they come against Elisha. Elisha prays, says, please, Lord, just blind them. The whole raiders go blind. He walks them over to Samaria. Now they're in occupied territory, sitting before the king. Elisha prays once again. Their eyes are opened. And the king of Israel says, should we kill them? Elisha says, well, if you took them as POWs, if you had attacked them, you would not do such a thing. You would feed them and you would send them back to their master. And that's what we're going to do. And so in this beginning of this story, we see the king of Israel who was blessed by the Lord. The servant of Elisha whose eyes were opened and saw the goodness of God and how God was protecting him and his master. And then we see even the enemies of Israel. They were blinded for a time, but then their eyes were opened and their lives were spared by God's goodness through his servant, Elisha. Next in the story, we have a dire situation where the king of Syria decides not to send these raiding parties into Israel anymore. He's going to gather his entire army, and he does so. And he surrounds Samaria, where Elisha is now at and the king of Israel is at. And he comes to surround the city. And the city is now starving. And the king is pacing on the roof or on the, on the city walls, looking out at the army, I'm sure, and, and wondering, how, what are we going to do? And one of his subjects comes to him and just tells him, you know, there's cannibalism going on here. It's a terrible situation. And the king, rather than remembering the goodness of God that had happened just prior in this story, he says, this evil is from the Lord. And what is he going to do? He's going to take it out on God's servants. And so that's what he plans and intends to do. And I wonder how many of us in our frustration and in our difficult circumstances, what do we do? How do we react? I can tell you how I reacted one time. There was a time a, a number of years ago, uh, 2013, 2014, and I remember it clearly. I was in my apartment in St. Petersburg, and I was pacing back and forth. And, you know, I had that kind of pace, and I was so agitated, so worried, and I didn't say anything, but I was pacing back and forth, and just so fast, so quick, camera couldn't catch me. No, uh, in such a way that I was going to make grooves in my apartment floor shortly. And my wise and, and God-fearing wife had some words for me. She said, honey, stop pacing. Stop worrying. What are you doing? Like, is that helping? She said, let's pray. And as a believer, I thought in my heart, that's the last thing I want to be doing right now. I'm upset. Let me walk it out. Let me figure it out. But I realized that's not going to help. I'm not going to figure it out. And so we sat down and prayed. And I have to be honest, when I started praying, I was still very upset in my heart. I was anxious. I was fearful. Because we needed finances for a certain thing and we didn't have it. But we began praying. As we began praying, the Lord began to work on my heart and to bring peace and his calm, and understanding that, wait a minute, I serve the God of the universe who has 
all things under his control. Did this financial situation take him by surprise? Absolutely did not. So I need to trust in him and not look to my circumstances or my situation, but I need to look to the one who can take care of my circumstances and situation. And that's what we did. And shortly thereafter, just a few days on, the Lord answered our prayer and provided for us in a miraculous way. But what had to happen first was my heart had to calm down to seek his face and to understand he is for me and he is good. And that's what we see in this first passage is that God is good. He was good to the evil king. He was good to the servant of Elisha. He was good to even the enemies of Israel. And he's good to you and me. So we have the king surrounding the city. People are starving within the city walls. There's famine. There's a great need. You know, sometimes we need to be available and ready for the Lord. In Christmas 2018, a friend of ours from church who is a social worker came to my wife and said, Hey, Ramona, I have this need. There's this young mother with five young kids under the age of 11 who are, are... destitute. They're poor. They have nothing. And they won't be able to celebrate this holiday season. Would you you be willing to help out? And so Ramona came to me. We went to the kids. And we decided as a family to take all the Christmas money we had that we were intending to uh, use for presents for ourselves, and we dedicated it to this family. And so the kids went out. They bought presents for the kids got them all wrapped up, we prepared, and we went there on that day, and we delivered the presents, and of course the kids were elated. And it was just wonderful to see the the joy on their faces, on the mother's face. And yet, there still was a deep sadness within her, and I was wondering, what is that? And so we left the house, and our friend, the social worker, stayed behind and talked with her a little bit. And within a few minutes, she came out and says, Aaron Ramona, you know what? This mother just showed me their refrigerator, and there's nothing in it. There's absolutely nothing there. They have nothing to eat. And we were going into a 10-day holiday for for Russia, so all the social services there were closed for the next 10 days, and they would have nothing to eat. So we went out to the store, and we bought them groceries and helped provide at a time when they had great need. We can be instruments in God's hands to provide for those who are in need. And what a blessing it is to be used by the king for such purposes. So continuing our story back here in Samaria, let's look at 2 Kings chapter 6, and we're going to start reading at verse 32, and we're going to read through chapter 7, verse 2. And it says this, So the king has hated uh, Elisha, the messenger of God, and is planning to kill him, and so he sent his servant to do so. Elisha was sitting in his house, and the elders were sitting with him. Now the king had dispatched a man from his presence, but before the messenger arrived, Elisha said to the elders, Do you see how this murderer has sent to take off my head? Look, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold, uh, and hold the door fast against him. Is not the sound of his master's feet behind him? And while he was still speaking with them, the messenger came down to him and said, This trouble is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? But Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow about this time a seah of flour shall be sold for a shekel and two seahs of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Then the captain on whose hand the king leaned said to the man of God, 
If the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? But he said, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. Here we have the word from the Lord. Elisha says, God at this time tomorrow is going to provide for the city the very food it needs at regular prices. And of course, the servant of the king, looking at Elisha, said, how could this be? Even if God opened windows in heaven, could this thing even happen? I don't believe it. And yet Elisha, when he speaks at this moment, he, at this moment, he says, hear the word of God. And that word in, in Hebrew, I love it, it's Shema. It means to listen, listen intelligibly, to listen and obey. This is the word of the Lord, so obey it, trust it, see if this thing comes true. But even before he was ready to hear it, the servant of the king said, I don't believe it. I don't believe this thing could be true. And yet we know that God's word is true. That's the second point here in this story. God's word is true, and it will be proven true. It will be proven true time and time again if we're willing to submit ourselves and our lives to his authority and to his kingship, we will see his word proven true in our own lives. Actually, just a couple of months ago, I had the opportunity to speak in our church in St. Petersburg, Russia, and the passage that we were in at the time was Luke chapter 4. And it was actually the part of Luke chapter 4 where Jesus uh, is fasting for 40 days and facing temptation uh, in the wilderness. And the very last of the temptations that's recorded, it says he was tempted for 40 days, and we only get the, the excerpt, the, 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 the cliff notes from there, the three, uh, the three testings, if you will, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, which Satan tested Jesus with. And the last of his... Satan offers up an opportunity to prove God. And Jesus says in verse 12 of chapter 4, he says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And I, I was just struck by those words. And the Lord actually took me back to a time, back almost 30 years ago, when I had been praying to him for a certain situation in my life. I was in southern Russia, and I was ministering with a short-term team, and I was asking, Lord, what do you want for my life? This is so exciting. I'm so excited to be ministering in Russia. Lord, here's the deal. Would you want me to uh, stay here or do you want me to come back? And I kept praying this prayer. And at the time, I just thought, well, I was kind of being, you know, ignorant or, or, or something like that. And finally, I had to go quiet. I said, Lord, this is in your hands. And he took that burden from my heart and I understood that he was going to have his leading in his time. But nearly 30 years later in reading this passage in Luke chapter 4, verse 12, I understood that I was putting the Lord my God to the test. I was saying, God, like, you're not God. I have the choice. Here's your choice. Two things, one or two. What would you like to do? And I was convicted by God's word. Nearly 30 years later, God was gracious to work on me slowly, but to bring it up in due time when I was ready to hear, you know what? I had put the Lord my God to the test. And when our hearts are soft and ready to receive from him, he will speak to us. 
and he will have his way and his word will be proven true. So further in this story, and it's one of my favorite parts of the story, and I almost hate to, to, to leave it out, but for sake of time and, and this morning, we're not going to look at it, but it is chapter 7, verses 3 through 14, and it's the situation where there's desperation in the city and there's four lepers just outside the walls of the city because they're not allowed in so they don't infect others in the city. And they're stuck between a rock and a hard place. They said, well, we're going to starve here because there's no food in the city and nobody's given anything to us. And we have the enemy over there and they might kill us, but you know what? Let's take our chances with the enemy. And so they walk over into the enemy's camp and find it empty. The fires are still going. The animals are still there. And yet the place is empty. And so they begin eating and drinking and, and, and taking uh, gold and silver and whatever they could find and hiding it. And then they stopped and they realized, you know what? This blood is going to be on our heads if we do not go back to the city and share this good news. If we don't share this good news, the blood of the people in the city are going to be on us. And so they went back and they told the king all that had transpired. The king musters up the final horses that are left in the city and a couple of chariots and rides out because he's thinking there's an ambush somewhere. This is a trick. This, ain't, this is not real. They're just waiting so when we come out, they'll, they'll take us alive, take our city, and we'll be done. But as it turns out, we find that the Lord had truly done a miracle. The Syrians thought they heard chariots and horses. They thought Israel had hired the Hittites and the Egyptians and they fled for their lives and they actually were throwing off equipment and, and stuff that they had with them all the way to the River Jordan as they ran back home. They left their camps completely and everything that they had, all their food, all their goods, all their animals. And the Lord had the victory. And so let's pick it up and look at what the Lord did and read about the finish of this story in chapter 7, starting at verse 16, and we're going to read to the end of the chapter. Chapter 7, verse 16, and through the end of the chapter. And it says this, The people went out and plundered the camp of the Syrians, so a seah of flour was sold for a shekel, and two seahs of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. Now the king had appointed the captain on whose hand he leaned to have charge of the gate, and the people trampled him in the gate so that he died, as the man of God had said when the king came down to him. For when the man of God had said to the king, two seahs of barley shall be sold for a shekel and a seah of fine flour for a shekel, about this time tomorrow, in the gate of Samaria, the captain had answered the man of God, if the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could such a thing be? And he said, you shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat of it. And so it happened to him, for the people trampled him in the gate and he died. God's word was proven true. And my third point this morning is, with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. The circumstances dictated that there is no way that from yesterday to today that the food in the city could sell for normal prices. There's no way. Where would you get such abundance? Maybe an empty camp of Syrians who fled for their lives, even though nobody was coming after them? That's the kind of God that we serve. And I think of the situation right now in, in Russia and the Ukraine, and I ask you to continue to pray for the believers in the Ukraine, those who are suffering, but also for the believers in Russia, because they're going to be suffering very soon through the economic sanctions, and to continue to lift them up in prayer. 
We have dear brothers and sisters over there who are going to need your support, need your prayers. Because now is going to be the time when they can shine brightly as lights for the Lord in lives of others in this hopeless and desperate situation that will soon take place in Russia. And we can be praying that also for the Ukraine and our brothers and sisters there. So finally, God is the God of the impossible. And it's interesting that in the New Testament, I want to go there now, he describes the greatest miracle, the greatest thing that he has done on our behalf. There's a situation where a rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, Lord, good, good master, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What should I do? And, of course, we know the discussion with Jesus. And it ends with him walking away in sadness saying, I, I just can't do that. And so, after this time, Jesus has a discussion with his disciples. And that's what I want to look at in Matthew chapter 19 starting in verse 23 and reading through verse 26. And let's look at it here. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easy for a, easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. That's God's miracle. You know, we may have ideas as people who, who it is that are candidates for the kingdom, people who have attended church all their lives, people who give to the poor, people who go out on the mission field. That's not your candidacy. God has a plan for each one of us. And it's interesting here. He mentions the rich person because that's who he just spoke with. But what does he say in verse 26? He says, with man, this is impossible. That's everybody. That's not just rich people. That's not just poor people. That's not just church attenders or non-church attenders. That's all of us. We're all in the same category. It's impossible for us. But with him, all things are possible. You know, growing up in this church, I had the wonderful opportunity Sundays and Wednesdays hearing the Word of God and having that Word being poured over me again and again and seeing the lives of believers who trusted and loved the Lord, following after Him and looking at their example. Make a little plug right here. Buy those plants that the youth group are selling, okay? Send those kids to camp, send them to retreat. Because it was in a camp, not unlike what they're going to, and it was through the church that I went, that God spoke to me these words from Luke chapter 9. And it's a time when Jesus is discussing with his disciples, say, who the crowd say I am? And they say this or that. And, and of course, Peter says, you are the Christ. You are the Messiah, the Son of God. And after that, he said these words. And these are the words that touched me in this camp when I was reading it. And I realize this is for me. This is for here. This is for now. And this is for my life and for application to me. And he says this in verse 23 of Luke chapter 9. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And I understood that God was calling me 
that if I was going to walk after him, if I was going to do anything in this life, I had to deny myself the things that I desired, the things I wanted to do, and I had to take up my cross. I had to be dead to this world. And I had to say, Lord, I need your saving grace, but I can't walk as the world walks. I have to walk and follow after you because you are the only one who can answer the true need that I have, and that is salvation in you. And he transformed me from a kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his light and his glory. Amen.